We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands where we record this podcast, and we pay our respects to the elders past, present, and emerging, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. We talk a lot on this podcast about medical practices, and we would just like to say that we completely acknowledge that the medical practices of the First Nations people were created and used well, well, well before any of the Western medical practices that we mainly talk about on this show in relation to this show. And the medical practices of our First Nations people are still being used successfully today. So you blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. It's cold, it's right. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scalpels and Tequila, a Grey's Anatomy recap podcast. I'm Ayla. And I'm Tamsin, and we are doing season three, episode Some Kind of Miracle. 17. Thank you. (laughs) I was so happy that you did that because I didn't know it at all. Know what? The name of the episode. Ah. I did not need to cry at 7 a.m. I know. Just putting it out there. Yeah. My eyes are still a little bit weepy. Oh, who was the, who was the. Who got you first? I cried when when Christina comes into Meredith's room. Same. Strong yeah. agree. I don't cry until then. I think Meredith's, um, when she's talking to Denny, I do fe- I feel that, but I don't cry, cry. Mm. But I do really feel that scene. There's, there's a whole lot on Instagram that's like books that you wish you could read again for the first time. Mm. It's episodes like this that are like fuck I wish I could watch this again the first time because the emotions that you would have in the not knowing so true actually because you would be like yeah I can't remember what it would have been like to see it for the first time I reckon I would have been crying a lot more yeah 100% yeah especially because they really do go to great lengths to make you think that she's dead like they really do go do everything She's been down for hours at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like she's going to die. Mm. Mm. More so than I remember, honestly. I don't remember her dying this much, but then I don't remember her dying this much. What is this conversation? (laughs) So we do open with a monologue. We open with a monologue as per usual. As we, oh, I don't even know how to start this episode. As this is the second part of this two-parter, we are with Meredith. Third part. Third part? Third part. This is a carry-on from the, the boat. That was last week. Yeah, and this is a carry-on from that. So it's second part. No, th- from the part before. We're on our third part of this episode. This is still the same day. They woke up, they got to the boat, episode one, creepy child. Episode At the end of episode one, she goes into the water. Episode two, Derek finds creepy child. And pulls her out. This is episode three, her out of the water. Yeah, you're right. This is a three-parter episode. That is wild. This is a, a three-parter. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think about that at all. But, yeah, you're right. It's three. How bizarre. So uh, I can't even – I'm starting this episode so badly. I kind of want to start the whole thing again. <laughs> you're 100% fine, Tamsin. We can cut that out. So this is the third part of this episode. This is the third episode in this day where they're at the ferry boat crash. And I can't believe we've had a monologue every single episode. Yeah, we totally have. I guess because 
the last time that we had a two-parter episode, we didn't have a monologue, mm-hmm. but there was reason for that. I don't remember what it was. I'm so fucked this morning. <laughs> there are medical miracles. Being worshippers at the altar of science, we don't like to believe that miracles exist, but they do. Things happen. We can't explain them. We can't control them, but they do happen. Miracles do happen in medicine. They happen every day, just not always when we need them to happen. At the end of a day like this, a day when so many prayers are answered and so many aren't, we take our miracles where we find them. We reach across the gap and sometimes against all odds, against all logic, we touch. So this monologue is, it just, it feels very religious to me. So much of these last few episodes have been, we forget how religious Grey's Anatomy is. And I'm sure it's another reason why people get turned off it. But I don't think it it is, it is so religious in the forefront so much like it is with this monologue. I mean, this idea of even the word miracle, I know we can use it in a non-religious term, but it has a religious history. True. And when you put it together with a whole bunch of people praying yeah. for their loved ones and other people's loved ones, yeah. it's it's quite religious. This whole show is quite religious. I also feel like at the end of this monologue, she says, we reach across the gap and against all odds we touch. It just reminds me of that picture, you know, of like man and God, those hands like reaching through. Yeah, we're both doing it now. Yeah, <laughs> We're both doing it now, yeah. What I do like is that even though half of this episode takes place in this idea of uh, this middle ground, it's not heaven, it's not hell. Limbo. I like that it that is actually a non-religious space. They say it's not heaven. Mm-hmm. They say it's maybe her mind. No one really knows what it is. No one is clarifying anything. So I do actually appreciate that they they didn't go so heavy-handed on the on the religious aspect of what this afterlife is for Meredith. Well, specifically, heaven is a very Catholic Christian English word for the afterlife. There is a, a Mecca, a Nirvana in, in so many other forms of belief. Um, but, yeah, this this TV show is certainly very Christian and Catholic central and a lot of our characters are that way, believing, aside from Christina, who is the token Jew. Yeah, I suppose so. We just don't see, I mean, I don't see Meredith as being religious. I don't see Izzy as being religious. We get some of the religious stuff coming through from Bailey and, yeah, Christina with sometimes her Jewish uh, things that she throws in there, but she's not. A lot of our side characters are often quite religious. Totally. And we see a lot of different religions coming in through our patients, Mm -hmm. which I think is really good. I don't think this show tries to focus on one thing, but I, I just I assume that there just are writers and it's set in America and, you know, it's just the Christianity and Catholicism. Really fun word to say. Bigger, more widespread. More widespread? That's the one. Mm. Um, but speaking of patience, we only have the two today. Um, so our Jane Doe's still with us. And I completely forgot, but Ellis is in the hospital. Yeah, Ellis is still here. Mm-hmm. She's not lucid anymore and I don't know, Can we, should we talk straight about Ellis? Because that moment where Derek comes in and just says, like, this is all your fault. Mm-hmm. 
everything merit everything good that Meredith is is despite you. That's amazing. What a scene. If she doesn't pull through this, this is on you. Mm-hmm. And I think more abusive parents need to be told told that. You mm. do not get to take props for their winnings when you contributed nothing towards them. Oh, but I made them a stronger person. Fuck off. I think one of the worst things that I can say about my paternal mother is that I wouldn't be the fiercely independent person that I am without her. That's not a great thing to say. And Meredith's very much the same. She wouldn't be this fiercely independent person without the neglect of her mother. Yeah, I mean, she's taught herself to rely only on herself and that she can do things on her own and she can get things done. And as she says in this, in this episode, she has intimacy issues because it's so hard for her to get close to people because I guess the person she was closest to as a child was, was supposed to be her mum, And she kind of got, you know, like a dog like an angry dog, she got bit on the face every time she went too close. Mm-hmm. I was bitten on the face by a dog when I was a kid. That's, I think, why I said that. Where? Down my, um, down here. I've down got like jaw. three little scars. Yeah, on my jaw. Huh? Three little bite teethy marks. What kind of a dog was it? A tiny dog, little fluffy household dog. Always a fucking tiny dog. But it's not the dog's fault. Uh, this is where my analogy to Meredith's mum goes away. It's not the dog's fault. It was my fault. <laughs> I was being a kid and I was being annoying to the dog and the dog didn't like it. Yeah. Not the dog's fault. 100%. Um, But I don't know if Ellis knew exactly what Derek meant, um, but she can't. No, she wasn't. Regardless. Yeah. Ellis wasn't lucid, but I think subconsciously Mm. it affected her in some way. But now Derek is responsible for saving the life of the person that's caused the one he's loved so much strife because she goes into cardiac arrest and a code blue is called. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the jungle, our episode actually opens today with one of my favourite lines from Grey's Anatomy, Her Story, and it's for some reason something that's stuck with me the whole time. It's Weber saying about Meredith that she's not dead until she's warm and dead. Really? That line has really stuck with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's heaps of really good lines in this. All of my notes are just excellent lines. Oh, amazing. What other one? What's your, what? Tell me some. Meredith wakes up in limbo and the boys are just bickering. Yeah. They're just, they're just I think my notes just say, even in heaven, boys can't stop fucking bickering. But that's your note. That's not a line from the show. No. But it's good. Oh, um, Scrub Nurse saying, this isn't your brain on drugs. <laughs> when Meredith's confused about where she is. Yeah. Um, how can you be a surgeon and have so little respect for life? Yeah. So do you know that this episode written by... A writer called Marty Noxon, who has never written for Grey's Anatomy before and didn't write for Grey's Anatomy again. This is her one and only Grey's Anatomy episode. And I find that so interesting because the work she would have had to have done to get to this place with all of these characters, to fully understand who all of these characters who are in limbo are, 
to understand how all of the friends relate to each other, I think she did a really good job. What she does end up doing, though, is she does end up uh, heading up private practice and being the showrunner on private practice eventually. So she stays in Shondaland, but she just doesn't stay in the Grey's Anatomy world. I just find that really interesting. Yeah. Um, Another good one is I know the science here and it's drinking time. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're just lots of good ones. But, yeah, she's not dead until she's warm and dead is something that really stuck with me and I don't know why, but I think about it a lot. Really? Like it's just another way of saying it's not over until the fat lady sings. It's What's interesting is because normally it would be cold and dead, but because they cannot tell if she's alive or not because she's hypothermic, it needs to go the other way. And hypothermia does crazy things to the body. Like you can... There are people who, I suppose, when they're deep diving and stuff, can work with hypothermia to slow their heart rate to a point where they're still alive, but it gives them enough time and they don't need as much oxygen and stuff uh, before paramedics get there. Like a bear in hibernation. That's wild. Yeah. Hypothermia is It's kind of, um, grew up for a little while in Queensland and we used to put cane toads in the freezer. Ugh. Because they go to sleep. So you put them in a plastic bag and put them in the freezer and they would go to sleep before they suffocated. That's horrible. Yeah, that's so dark. Oh, it's dark. <laughs> Queensland is a wild place. I Yeah, never never go cane toad hunting with a tennis racket. I just don't, I don't want to hear about people killing animals ever. I know cane toads are like a problem, but it's not their fault. They're so yucky. Especially when you stomp on them by accident in the nighttime. Gross. Yeah, it's really icky. I hate this. I hate this. But we do have three main scenes today. We have Meredith's yep. operating room. We have, yep. let's call it Limbo. And then we've kind of got Addison and Alex and our interns sort of wandering around between our Jane Doe and the clinic. Yep. And Izzy needing to pull her fucking head in. It's so frustrating how horrible Izzy is because I love Izzy. I love Izzy and I love her and I think she's amazing right up until these moments where she just says the most awful things about Callie. Why Why is it Callie? I don't, I'm failing to understand. So honestly, it has nothing to do with Callie. It has everything to do with Izzy feeling like George is her only really good friend and Callie is taking him away from her. It's it's completely an Izzy insecurity. It's It has nothing to do with Callie. But she doesn't seem to realise that she could just be gaining a friend, which is exactly what Exactly Callie what Callie says. says today. Yeah, I think I think that has not entered her brain. No. So in the clinic... Basically, our interns are all given by Dr. Bailey to Callie to just keep them occupied. Christina disappears. Alex goes off with Karev. Alex goes off with Karev. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's early and it's almost 38 degrees. Alex goes off with Addie. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we end up with Callie and Izzy in the clinic uh, collecting blood for a blood shortage. So... Callie being the better person is 
giving blood and letting Izzy have some practice doing it on her because she's aware that, you know, Izzy hasn't practiced in ages. And all Kelly is saying is trying to be reassuring and saying, you know, she's our friend, she'll get through this. And Izzy just fucking snaps back with a you don't know her. You are not her friend. We don't like you. You should have never married George. It's And Callie's done with it. I'm really glad that Callie sticks up for herself here. But Izzy is just so horrible. Again, she's like, oh, don't wave that marriage in front of me like it means anything. Callie, another great line, says, you can keep on the way you are or you can be that person George used to know. Yeah. Like, what is she doing? Then Kelly says you cannot afford to lose another friend, not when people around you keep. And it's very clear she's going to say keep dying. And Izzy is so offended. And I understand why, but I, it's a rough thing to say. Yeah, it's a rough thing to say. Kelly does fly off the end sometimes, but. But I don't think it's any worse than anything Izzy has said. She is quite obviously fighting back from a situation she's in. Callie's been, like, cornered by Izzy, cornered by Izzy, pushed away by Izzy, and Izzy keeps saying horrific things. Even, like, right now she's basically saying her marriage doesn't mean anything. She needs to leave George alone and get out of their lives. And it's, like, that's it's so dismissive. It's just putting this person down, making her feel so small. I don't know, I just, it's just really awful. It's also the fact that Callie is try- is reaching out because she's having a really hard time with Meredith being unwell also because her friend is dying. Yeah. Callie's having a bad day too. She's doing everything she can to help because she knows that these are her core friends and her partner is best mate. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I do really attribute this whole thing to Izzy just being being so scared and so terrified that she's going to lose George because, because at the beginning of season one when all of these interns were becoming friends, Izzy tried to be as good of friends with Christina and Meredith as they are, but they kind of shut her out a little bit. Izzy's yeah, always been doing- on the outs for them. And George has been the one that she's been like, George is my best friend. Which makes it crazy that she would do the exact same thing to Callie. Crazy, but also it's that thing of people who get bullied can end up bullying others. Like it can be a chain reaction. You've reminded me in primary school, our principal came walking into our classroom and he wrote, hurt people hurt people. That's exactly it. On the wall. And it took us all so long to figure out what it meant and why he wrote it twice. But it's also something I think about a lot. And yep. it's what Izzy's doing. It's exactly what Izzy's doing. Doesn't not make it okay in the slightest, but it it helps us no. understand maybe where she's coming from. It doesn't excuse what she's doing. No, absolutely not. And finally, not. George says it's no excuse for her behaviour. Finally, George decides to stick up for Callie all on his own. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. He's doing well. He says, what did you say to my wife? You said something to her. She, I saw the look on her face. I know you've been awful to her. 
And then George says, like, I if if I'm right, you're going to look like a jerk. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to need you. Which is George kind of admitting, like, I still don't know if marrying Kelly was the right decision. If it's the right decision, you're going to look like a jerk. If it's the wrong decision, I'm going to need my friend. Mm. But it seems like full circle at the end of the episode, Izzy apologises to George, kind of. She says, I let you down. You don't trust me right now. And he's just ignoring her. She's like, please, it's me. I mean, she never says sorry. No, No one in this show says sorry. It's the Derek mm-hmm. thing again. And it's the this is me apologizing to you and then never actually apologizing. Saying, sorry. Um but George walks away because this is not the first time Izzy has apologized like this. Mm-hmm. And but just not amended her behavior in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Um but at yeah, she's really putting her foot in it. But I mean, she's really putting her foot in it. She's really she's going to lose George. Mm-hmm. She's not changing her behavior. Because George says to her, you know, is he's like, I can't just keep my mouth quiet. And George's like, yes, yes, mm-hmm. you can. People can lie. You can you lie. You can keep these opinions to yourself if it does nothing but hurt someone else. Like, she has made it well and truly known that she does not agree with his decision. So continuing to go on about it won't change, change a damn thing. Just it just changes how we all see Izzy. Mm-hmm. And it sucks having these feelings because this episode you could ha- you could have so much more. You could feel so much more for Izzy this episode if she also wasn't being a dick because, again, there is someone that she loves dying in the hospital. She's been through this too much. She's been through this 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 year already and we also have this simultaneous storyline with Denny and if Izzy wasn't walking around being horrible, it would you'd feel it so much more. You'd feel for her. Kelly does try to, you know, when Izzy first starts going, having a go at it, Kelly's like, you know what, our friend's in the hospital, I'm going to give you a minute. Mm. And Izzy doesn't stop. So she calls her out. Because, yes, whenever you're going through a hard time, people will give you grace. A bit of a grace period, yeah. A bit of a wide berth, they'll give you some grace. We all understand it, but that does not give you the right or the opportunity to be absolutely nasty. Izzy's defence mechanisms are not pretty. Mm-mm, they're worse than Alex's. Yeah, I actually think they are too. And they only seem to reflect on Callie. Because that's where her hurt is at the moment. Her hurt is with George. Mm. She's just taking it out on Callie. Well, she's going to have no one left to take it out on pretty soon. No one's defences, defence mechanisms are cute though. Absolutely not. Can you imagine if we were all healthy people who didn't have defense mechanisms? No. <laughs> well, I don't think we'd be human, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Speaking of people who don't look human. No! I only just realized our Jane Doe, she doesn't have any teeth. <laughs> 
Oh, God. She has no teeth. I've been freaking out about this for years, about why she looks so uncomfortable and why she's so hard to look at. It's because she's got no teeth, which means that that big bollard thing, oh, my soul is coming out, smushed all her teeth into her face. The amount of pain she must be in with those angry little nubbins in her mouth, I'm not terrified. I feel so much worse for our Jane Doe now because I realised that all of her teeth were smashed out of her face. It's it's so sad. It's so heart-wrenching that this, this person has been so crushed and has so many injuries and on top of that, like, has no memories and then unable to find her a support network. It's so heartbreaking and that's exactly what Alex sees the heartbreak of it all and Alex being our best guy is there oh that's another good line um Meredith makes me think screwed up people have a chance yes see I knew I had more good lines that is my top line that is my favorite line of this episode and I love that it comes from Alex because Alex Alex sees himself as Ava. Alex sees himself as a screwed up person. That is the way he will always identify. When his defense mechanisms come out and they come out really ugly and when he is really awful, he always takes it back to that's just me. I'm a screwed up, awful person. He he has such low self-esteem that he he wants to help those who are also, as he deems it, screwed up, those that mm-hmm. he feel, feels like have no or not much of a chance, some people that have, like, thrown their life away a little bit. That's why he has such a bond with Meredith. He has such a bond with Meredith because, because she is so open and she talks about how she is screwed up and messed up and awful things have happened to her and this is how they connect. And I, I, I love Alex for saying this line. I love Alex for admitting that he knows that Meredith sees the good in him. So that has helped him and allowed him to see the good in others or see the possibility and the hope. To fight for them. Alex does have another troubling line when he's speaking to our Jane Doe. At the end of the episode, you know, she's, They've realised that she either has short-term amnesia or some memory loss because she thought Karev was her husband. And she come, he comes into the room and she says, so no one's claimed me. He says, look, not yet, but we've learned a lot about you today. We've learned your blood type. You've got low cholesterol, which means you're mm-hmm. healthy. You don't have the lungs of a smoker. You're about 32 years old. Your baby is a girl. And... He says, I know more about you than some of my closest friends. Yeah. Alex considers the other interns his closest friends and they barely think of him as part of their collective. No, I think they do. I think Izzy and Meredith do. Yeah. I don't know if Christina and especially not George have particularly warmed up yet. I think it's slow burn, but it's happening. Mm. Izzy definitely does. Yeah, you're right. Meredith does as well. 
but it's yeah. a slow it's a slow burn and it's getting there and when we see these moments where alex is connecting with with one of them one of them being christina or george there's some really good moments there that scene ages ago now where christina and alex are both trying to give good news to patients as quickly as they can <laughs> so they don't get hugged yeah see that it's like alex can bond with all of all of them alex has something that he can connect with them all on but it's just he's done so much helping of george oh my god he has helped george so many times and george, george just treats alex the way that izzy cre- treats callie to an extent to an extent. Like they've Alex has helped George on numerous occasions. Yeah. And Alex is still really dismissive. Or George is still really dismissive yep. of Alex in that way, I mean. Yeah. Is he saying that Callie isn't her friend or isn't part of her friendship group? Well, obviously Callie's gonna take offense to that. She's helped them all on so many occasions and done has done her best to accommodate and make them all comfortable. And has shared moments with each of our interns. Yeah, I, I I understand. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from for sure. It's like Alex has been there for George on so many occasions. Every time George asks Alex for help, Alex is there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe a bit reluctantly, but he always helps. He always does it. He's never but reluctant. He always chucks in a joke though. Alex will, um, George will constantly, constantly assume the worst from Alex. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it is. It's like George goes into every situation with Alex, assuming that Alex is going to be nasty, mean, a bully. And and George then can't just take Alex for face value, for what it is. He can't just be there in the moment because he has all these preconceived ideas that he can't shake. Maybe that's what's happening with Izzy as well. Mm -hmm. In her head, Callie is this monster taking away her friend and she, she can't drop that. She can't move away from that. She can't see what's right in front of her. I think it also doesn't help that the other people in her friendship group are not, are also not being outwardly supportive. Like we know that Christina has a lot of respect for Callie, but she doesn't, it's a Christina issue where she doesn't call people her friends very easily. Like I doubt she even calls Izzy her friend, let's be honest. Yep. Meredith likes Kelly, has a lot of time for her, um, but won't say that in front of Izzy and did a little bit try and stand up for her a couple of episodes ago when they came back, but didn't make a point of it. Yeah, Izzy's definitely the most outspoken of all of them mm-hmm. in every in every situation. Izzy's the one who's first going to talk about her feelings. The others don't. Yeah. So, of course, Izzy's voice is the loudest. I think that makes sense as to why Denny's voice was the loudest in our limbo. It makes complete sense. I actually wrote, it's funny that you say that because one of my first notes is when we first get into this limbo and we have Denny and the bomb squad guy, Dylan, kind of arguing and bickering, it sounds it sounds like Izzy and Christina. Bickering. <laughs> but who's manly? I'll take you down right now. You could swap their, you could swap the actors reading those lines, and if it was Izzy and Christina, I wouldn't bat an eyelid. 
I would just assume those lines are written for them. Oh, then Bonnie is 100% George and Scrub Nurse, who's mean and to the point, is Alex. I think so too. (laughs) I think this is all happening in Meredith's brain. And I think all of these people have taken on one of her friends. Because Meredith is, at the end of the day, talking to herself. They want to admit herself to herself what happened in the water. Yeah. There is a scene where she's talking to Denny. And I think that he's figured out that he they can't convince her to fight for herself because she has so little, not necessarily self-esteem, but, you know, belief in herself mm-hmm. that he goes the opposite route and he says think of George Christina and Izzy this will break them he puts the weight of their happiness on her and he also talks about Derek and what a good man he is and a great man he is and- what a romantic he is mm-hmm. and you will just suck all that romance right out of him yeah we're gonna scooch on past that and say that he's an optimist optimist and you will change who he is. And look, if this conversation is a means to an end, getting her out of limbo, I understand it, but the weight of other people's happiness is suffocating. That's that's a really interesting way to look at it because I think I, I watched that as him trying to let it sink in that she is really important to other people. Mm-hmm. Which I know, I know it's like the same thing, but I think this, what her mum said to her made her feel so irrelevant and made her feel so unwanted that it was hard for her to see where she was important, who she was important to, and who actually wanted her. And I think this is his reminder. But but what you just said makes so much sense too. I mean, it's not up to us to make other people happy. Yeah, it's um, I completely agree with the way you saw it and I think I saw it that way a little bit as well. Um, but I think she genuinely did need a reminder that there are people out there who care for her. Yeah, a thousand and percent. That... Nope, lost it. It's gone. Poof. Off in the wind. Well, you were saying like the weight of other people's happiness is heavy. Oh, yeah, feeling responsible for the happiness of others is its so heavy. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be on anyone to be, to be that person for anyone, even though I know as friends and people, you know, having people that we love in our lives, like it does feel like that sometimes. And you, you and sometimes you want to, you want to help and you want to, try and make other people happy. But when it becomes your responsibility to be other people's happiness, when it's when someone says something like this, like if you don't go back, if you don't love that person back, if you don't do this for them, they will break. They're not strong enough without you. They will never be happy again without you. That's It's so unfair. That's really unfair. Mm. Yeah, specifically what he said about Derek. I was like, oh, no, no, no. That sounds like the classic, if you break up with me, I'm going to kill myself manipulation. And I said it before and I'll say it forever. I don't think your entire social circle or your entire happiness should come from your partner. Oh, definitely not. There should be more. 
I think if one person was trying to provide everything for, or you're getting everything from one person, it starts to be very unhealthy. Friendships specifically, well, they take a lot of work. Yeah. Trying to make time to see people or it's not even catching up, it's having real conversations or just, you know, remembering they exist because they're really busy too is a lot. And you have to make a proactive decision to see them and to I, I, I have a roster in my phone. I have a Google, Google Calendar. When I speak to someone I haven't spoken to in a while, I will put them in my calendar in two weeks to check in because I love these people. I just have ADHD and object permanence applies to people too. Yeah, yeah. But it's just it's effort and it's hard. There's a lot you have to do when you're an adult. It sucks. Why is there so many things we have to do all the time? Why can't we just hang out with people and have a nice time? Why is there so much stuff? (laughs) Why? That's what COVID was. That's what COVID was. COVID was just like, hey, do you want to come around to my house and hang out? Do you want to go for a walk? Good. You couldn't really just go around to people's houses and hang out. That was illegal. You can go for a walk. You can go for a walk. I did quite a lot of um, sitting on people's front fences. Yeah. COVID was really nice in some ways. Oh, yeah. Looking back at it, it was the first freedom that any of us have had in our adult lives to simply exist and do Mm -hmm. what makes us happy. Mm -hmm. I feel like Melbournians out of anyone is allowed to look back at it fondly because we had the hardest time. We were in there for the longest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, without all the awfulness about what was actually happening in the world because of COVID, the release from from schedules and the release from pressure, a lot of things that you feel like you have to do, yeah, pressure, the release from all these things in the adult world that you have to do was a little bit of a little bit freeing I was relating to it or explaining it in a basically I watched the Marvel films in lockdown again all of them I think so oh I tried to watch all of them but man you get real over superheroes real quick but there's a scene when Loki first comes in the first Avengers or Thor or whatever and I've only seen one Marvel film, just for, so you know. Wild. Okay. So Loki is. Is it Marvel? I've seen the Green Lantern. That's the only one I've seen. Is that Marvel? No, that's old and terrible. I have not seen any Marvel films, just for reference. Okay. So Loki, Thor's brother, the god of mischief. The god of mischief? I want to be the god of mischief. I like being mischievous. That's Loki. You wanted to play Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream, didn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Same character, basically. Um, okay, so Loki comes to town and comes to the world and he wants to take over and be the king of the world. He wants to rule. And he goes to this museum somewhere. Point is he gets everyone down on one knee and he says to everyone, I'm going to offer you the ultimate freedom. The freedom of submission. And that's what COVID was. We were living under pretty strict rules. We couldn't go out after 9 p.m. We couldn't live further than 5Ks away from our house. So there was there was 
we had lost all control over our external life. Mm-hmm. But within that, there was so much freedom. And I don't know if I'm just like, yay for communism at this point, but like <laughs> there was so much freedom. Like you were saying, we chose when we got to wake up. We got to fill our days with whatever we wanted. And don't get me wrong, there were definitely days where that it was filled with just crying in a ball because we hadn't touched another human that weren't the three people that were driving me fucking insane mm. for weeks. But you know what? You had all the time in the world to cry in a ball for as long as you wanted. You <laughs> had nowhere, no one telling you where you had to be because you weren't allowed to be anywhere. Yeah, or what you had to do. You just It was a really weird time and it was really awful in a lot of ways, but it's going to be one of those things that we lived through, you know? I don't think the world would be as woke and progressive about mental health if it weren't for COVID. Yeah, I think it definitely sped that up, people's understanding and ability to speak about it. Mm -hmm. Anywho, back to our story. All of this causes Meredith to finally admit to herself that she was swimming, but then she thought, what's the point? And she stopped swimming. And she let go. And it was, yeah, and then she realises that, oh, shit, oh, shit. She's not done. She wants out and yeah. throws a right fucking hissy fit. What else happens in this moment when she is admitting this to Denny is that I think the reality of no longer having the people that you love, not necessarily romantic, but no longer having them in your life hits her because Denny explains that he, well, this is in Meredith's mind anyway, in, in the story, he's stuck in this limbo because how unfinished everything was with Izzy and he is walking the halls of these hospital and every now and again he will be in the same place at the same time as Izzy and he will feel her and sometimes maybe it feels as though he can almost hear her voice just for a moment. Almost like deja vu. It's like... Everything is almost, everything is not quite there. Everything is, you know, like a reaching for, a stretching for, but without ever touching, without ever connecting. I think of it as that feeling that you get when you smell a perfume or a fragrance, something that just immediately throws you into an experience. That's yeah. sort of feeling, then it stops you in your tracks. Yeah. The, it's funny that smells are so intense. Uh, an ex of mine who, um, uh, I don't know if I can say this on the podcast, but who does it, who took his own life, who is not here anymore, his, his cologne is so specific and I still smell it. I smell it. Someone can walk past with it on. And it feels like he's here. It's wild still to this day, even though it was years and years ago now. Oh, yeah. I think it happened to the both of us working at the restaurant we do not name, where either of us asked the other one. I, I, I had an ex who had the same thing. Very unique cologne. Yeah. And one day someone just came in wearing it and I burst into tears and you had to cover the bar for me. <laughs> 
you've had the same a couple of weeks later where someone came in, I'm assuming wearing that cologne and you needed to go and sit and have a minute. Well, yeah, but that place we used to work is the place that he used to work. So it was all a lot. Yeah. It was, yeah, smells. They fucking crazy. Also, listeners, if we ever do a meet and greet or a tour or anything like that, if you are wearing dupe or Elizabeth Arden red door, you will be asked to leave. I don't know the name of this one. I couldn't tell you. Don't know oh. what it is. Don't know what it's called. Well, those two make me want to vomit. So if I smell it, I know. I'll be like, that's that's the one. That's the one. Bizarre. And I think Meredith realizes that that is not what she wants. She wants to connect with Christina, with Derek, with Izzy. She wants them to be there. She doesn't want this almost, this just a moment. And she realizes that she needs to come back. But just at that moment, she sees her mum. Briefly, we see Ellis walking through the corridor of the hospital and Meredith runs out to her, goes to see her. And, you know, we as audiences realise what this means. This means that Ellis must have passed away because that's the only reason that she is here. And they hug. And Ellis says, you shouldn't be here. Just keep going. You are anything but ordinary. Which is what Meredith needs to hear to give her the real strength, I think, to fight, to fight back. Because while this is happening, Christina is taking this a lot harder than all of our other interns. She, as we said at the start, disappears. She runs away to a $2 shop. Yeah. And... The next time we see her, she's drinking at Joe's with her dragons. (laughs) She's like smog, just showing all of her treasures off. And Burke comes in, tries to reassure her, which is where we get the line, I know the science here and it's drinking time. And he says that might be the case, but you don't want to miss this. You don't want to not be there for her. and. It seems to take a while because Mm -hmm. Bailey and Weber have almost given up. It's been hours and she's still not coming through. Bailey recommends they do a cardiopulmonary bypass. No idea. But it's not working. She's gotten more warm. She's gotten more cold. And then she's she's hot. She's, She's warm and dead, which is right when Christina walks in. I just want to go back to Burke for a second. I want to give Burke props. We never do this, but I think what he said says to Christina is one of the best things he's ever said to Christina. I think Burke is for the first time showing that he is trying to understand Christina and Meredith's relationship and he's giving it the weight that Christina puts on it. And it's like, he is, He's understanding that this is important for her and he's saying the right things. Mm -hmm. And it's very rare. It's very rare. I just wanted to point it out. (laughs) But it brings her back to the hospital and this devastating moment. And we love that it's showing the love between friends and how important it is because while Meredith's mum, Ellis, tells her to run, and that's when Christina is standing at the end of her bed, holding onto her toes, screaming, try again. 
that died. Yeah. Absolutely died. Yeah. Yep. This is the moment I cry. There is something so intimate about the way she holds Meredith's feet and she stares at Meredith like she's communicating with her, like she's all of Christina's energy. She is like pushing it through Meredith's feet and almost trying to start Meredith's heart with her own heart. I don't know. That's very bit woo-woo of me, but like that's how I see it. It's like she is using every single thing that she can. Yep. Sending all the voodoo. Hey, Tom. Hi, Tom. Making noises outside, that's what he's doing. But Meredith runs and we get a heartbeat and they take out the intubation and Christina is glued to the spot. Mm. And then we get another devastating scene because we don't know if Meredith is brain dead of Christina just holding Meredith's face, begging her to wake up and to speak. Everyone gives Christina a moment, which I really like as well. It's like they all know that's all they can do for a little bit and they leave Christina in the room just with Meredith. And, oh, the ways that Christina is touching Meredith, like holding the feet then holding her face is, I, I, can't, I, can't, mm. I don't even have a word for it. It's just a type of intimacy that comes with so much love and, pre- like, it, it feels so precious. It feels like we are witnessing something that that only the two of them are allowed to witness. I feel like I'm so voyeuristic in this moment. I feel like it's because the two places that Christina touches her, she doesn't touch her anywhere else, are on her feet and on her face. And those are two places that generally for 99% of humans are only places that we allow the people closest to us to touch. Most people will touch your hand. You'll shake hands as a greeting, arms, shoulders, upper back. That's all pretty standard. But toesies and face are reserved for, as you said, the most intimate of touches. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Mm. And I'm so, so glad the show made this a Christina moment and not a Derek moment. Agree. But unfortunately, this scene doesn't pass the Bechdel test because the first thing Christina says is, I'm marrying Burke and you are the one person I wanted to tell. Thank you for not dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right, but but I excuse I'm it. I'm right. It's irrelevant. It was just a funny segue. Yeah, no, and it was good and I hadn't thought about it like that and you're right, but I do excuse <laughs> it because I but because it means so much more than just that. It does. Mm. 100% it does. But we see Alex, Izzy and George all come and join Bailey outside of the room. And then a few hours later, I assume, because she switched to a different room. Also, only our characters get the fancy linens. So true. <laughs> For some reason, Merediths are not emerald green. They are navy blue. Uh-huh. But she is in the room that Burke was in, so that must be our beloved character room. And Derek comes in and tries to tell her her mum's passed away. Sorry, tries to tell her her mum's passed away. Well, yeah, but he doesn't even need to 
doesn't even need to say it because Meredith knows. Meredith says it's okay because she got the closure that she needed with her mum. Now, I think we've talked about a lot of the wrap-ups of this episode and there are only, in my mind, two left to discuss. And one is Weber going through the death of Ellis. And Addison and Tiny Tao. Uh, and Sydney and Izzy. There's a few. Okay. Come at me with the Sydney and Izzy. <laughs> Sydney and Bailey. Yeah, Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, like, yeah, let's start with Sydney. We do get this little moment with Sydney and Bailey at the end where Sydney Heron, still still in the hospital, just making her little cameos every now and again. She needs some props, this girl. She's had a long day. Yeah. She comes up to Bailey and says, basically, you'll be giving me a run for my money for chief resident. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time Bailey's ever really shown us that she cares about chief resident. And she goes, yes, I will. Yes, I will. It's Bailey getting a little fire in her belly to fight. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder because a few episodes ago when Sydney first brought up chief resident position, Bailey did not give a shit. Bailey was like, I am making this clinic because I want to make this clinic. I'm not making this clinic because I want to be chief resident. But all of a sudden. Yeah, she didn't have ulterior motives. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I don't know. Bailey's had some time to think and. She wants to go for it now. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what changed in her, but I think it has something to do with Meredith fighting to come back. Correct. I would agree with that. All right. Addison. Addison's looking in on Derek sitting with Meredith and she says, he never cared for me like that, Mm. which devastating. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. They were married for 11 years. Yeah, Addison keeps coming out with these huge mental health red flags and just no one's paying attention. I think what it is also doing is it's it's letting the audience, the audience who isn't on Team Addison, the audience that hasn't yet realised justice for Addison needs to be something that we scream every day, the audience that still thinks she's a villain. I think these little lines about Derek are... Uh, what changed our minds the first time we watched it? The, uh, for the audience members to go, oh, he wasn't good to her. Mm. He didn't love her. They're, they're helping give her a reprieve for sleeping with Mark. They're helping those audience members maybe come to terms with and understand why she needed to source some affection somewhere else that wasn't her husband. Well, speaking of Mark, he says, I cared about you that much yeah and she's like you know what don't believe you you want to do this all right keep it in your pants for 60 days yeah keep it in your pants and he's like oh but sex with you Mm-mm. no no it's not that long yeah what a fun little game she's saying that she does not believe anything that mark says she does not believe that mark ever felt like that for her so to prove it He has to not sleep with anybody for 60 days. And then he says, well, if I have to do it, you have to do it. And he says, if I have to do it, you have to do it. So we have a little game. The most amazing bit of cinematography. Yeah. Where Addison says, who would I possibly sleep with? Cut to Alex. (laughs) 
camera. Cut to Alex. Cut to Alex. Yeah, the editors knew what they were doing there. They knew what they were doing. But then we get to Weber's wrap-up where he is talking to the corpse of Ellis Gray because apparently they just leave them in their rooms now. Okay, that made it sound really morbid. He's saying his goodbyes. She was blue. He is saying goodbye to a really long love story in his life. He's saying goodbye to this huge, she's been a huge figure in his life for such a long time and this story has come to an end and he is giving himself closure. He's saying goodbye. I didn't say that wasn't the fact. My point was is that they have left her in this bed for an extended period of time. So the chief of surgery can say goodbye. Okay. (laughs) And he says, you were gone for a long time. I know you think you died when the Alzheimer's started. I know it's a relief to you. It doesn't feel like a relief to me. I miss the sound of your voice. I miss talking to you. I miss you. I dyed my hair for the ladies. (laughs) That's really sweet. I think it's a nice goodbye. Mm -hmm. That made me a bit teary as well, even though I, this, you know, this love story is so broken and so hard to to deal with, to talk about, but this is still, it's core. It's someone saying goodbye to someone that they love and it got me. Mm -hmm. So I think our last wrap up and it's the last scene of this episode is Izzy leaving the hospital, leaving for the day, and she stops. There's a look on her face like she's remembering something. And the camera does this beautiful turn and we see that Denny, standing in this limbo version of the hospital, has brushed her shoulder and they are both frozen in time for a second and his face is lit up and he knows what's happening and he says, Izzy, but she kind of shakes off whatever she thought she felt and she keeps walking. And it's heartbreaking. He's so fine. Heartbreaking. Absolutely. Heartbreaking. Um, but also what's heartbreaking is that it's going to be very, very spicy today and I'm going to need to go and get in my car's air conditioning immediately. Yeah. So I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so much for listening if you are in Melbourne Sorry, good luck. Get in some water. We got this, you guys. I'm going to go blow up my baby pool. Not that I have a baby, but I have a pool made for a baby (laughs) and put it in my backyard to lay in it because it's too hot. It's so spicy. All right. Have a great day, my darlings. Love you. Bye. Bye. Vagina. Sing it. Vagina. Vagina. Vagina.